You're listening to the Untaming Podcast. We wild the child. Here is your host, Emily. Hey, hey, welcome back to episode 26 of the Untaming Podcast. Wow, what an episode last week's was, right? James McKenna on biologically normal infant sleep. Boy, when I was listening through it to take down quotes, I wrote down 24 truly excellent ones. It was almost impossible to pick my favorites, like, we know now that babies sleeping alone, they're at twice the risk of dying. We know that prone sleeping baby is the single most significant risk factor. And the second one is lack of breastfeeding. The three dismantled fundamental human and feeding adaptations. See, what a quote. Or, only Western industrialized societies in the last 100 years ever put their babies somewhere that the mother was not. And in fact, 90 to 95% of world cultures all sleep with their babies. That's the naught of human universal. Always was ever, always will be. Or, okay, just one more, otherwise I'll just end up reciting the whole episode. A healthy, non-premature baby less than a year of age, sleeping with its mother in a bed-sharing environment, has one six-thousandth of a one percent chance of dying. Wow. I have two reviews from Australia to share with you today. Kirsten Gold, these podcasts have been so enjoyable to listen to. I've come away from each episode with so much to think about and reflect on. I can't wait for more episodes. Thanks, Kirsten. And from April Goodman. Interesting, evidence-based conversations from high-caliber guests. A varied range of topics around raising healthy families connected to our natural environment. Down-to-earth and so enjoyable to listen to. A great find. Thank you, April. Please keep these reviews coming. It really makes my day when I see another new one. Here's a message from our sponsor. So today's episode with Nils Bergman is a short but very sweet one. It's only 20 minutes, but I pulled nine great quotes from him in that time. So many things that I heard that made me so excited I had to stop and re-listen. This is another one from our lovely guest host, Mary Francel. I am back next week interviewing Peter Michael Bauer on rewilding children and agriculture. His episode was so riveting, we ended up talking for two hours, so I've split his interview into two parts. So next week is part one. For now, here is Nils Bergman. Hello, I'm happy to introduce today Dr. Nils Bergman, who is a leading expert on kangaroo mother care and skin-to-skin contact. Uh, Welcome, Dr. Bergman. Um, Would you like to uh, introduce yourself and uh, just say a little bit about your background you know, in general. Thank you. So, Dr. Bergman sounds very formal. I'm an ordinary person. That's the definition <laughs> of an expert. Only he comes from another country. Ah, wonderful. But uh, I'm, my name is Nils. I'm Swedish originally. I live in Cape Town. Uh, but I worked in Zimbabwe uh, as a mission doctor. So, the story that I have to tell uh, that I'm here talking about begins in Zimbabwe. Wonderful. And can you tell us a little bit about your professional background as well? I'm a physician. 
uh, and I trained as a rural doctor to be a mission doctor. So I'm a general physician originally, and I got more involved after that work, seven years on a mission hospital with primary health care, public health. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I now call myself a public health physician. Wonderful. I've masters. Uh, and now I work full-time since uh, 12 years back on promoting, researching, implementing kangaroo mother care, specifically skin-to-skin contact is the technical word I like to use. Wonderful. Now, I think many people have heard of kangaroo care, but not so many have heard of kangaroo mother care. Could you, um, and I think most of people think of it in context of kangaroo care for premature babies, but could you explain the difference between that and kangaroo mother care? So kangaroo mother care is a World Health Organization defined strategy. And it includes, and the terminology is a bit unfortunate perhaps because it sounds very lay, Mm -hmm. very unscientific, but kangaroo position is the place. And that's where it's skin-to-skin contact, which is the critical thing. Mm -hmm. But it also includes breastfeeding support. And then, as you suggested, and you said it correctly, that it's for premature babies. Mm -hmm. And so the context of kangaroo is that the kangaroo gives birth to an embryo. Mm-hmm. Very, very premature baby. Yeah. Um, and then the original definition also included uh, support in many other ways, including that the baby would go home early. And that's a bit controversial. I personally don't like to do that. But uh, kangaroo care was taken to the United States with only the kangaroo position part mm-hmm. and only with small babies in hospital and only before they go home. So when I refer to kangaroo mother care, I'm using the World Health Organization definition. Kangaroo care is skin-to-skin for stable babies, only without the other parts. But skin-to-skin contact is what I'm doing. And uh, in my experience, uh, I didn't wait for the babies to become stable. So what I have been doing and still promoting to this day and researching is that babies should not be separated at all, Mm. that it's immediate skin-to-skin contact. Wonderful. So skin-to-skin contact is the key thing. It should be immediate and it should be continuous. Absolutely. So um, kangaroo care uh, is probably the normal uh, for our species, and uh, but it was in a way rediscovered in Brazil um, and it's a very interesting story. I thought maybe you could talk a little bit about how they kind of realized that this was a good thing for, for premature babies. So now I have to correct you according to my definition. Kangaroo okay. care that you do here in the United States okay. is not the original. Oh, okay. <laughs> Immediate and continuous right. skin-to-skin contact is okay. the original. The original. Okay, good. Thank you for that. Now, what they discovered in Bogota, Colombia, mm-hmm. was the kangaroo mother care on stable babies before they went home. Mm-hmm. And very particularly, um, they were doing normal care, Mm -hmm. but the babies were too many. Mm -hmm. And they had three babies in incubators. By normal care, you mean the traditional medical in in incubator care? They had eight incubators and they had 24 babies. Wow. So those babies were getting Mm cross-infections. And so they discharged them early Mm -hmm. in Mm skin-to-skin. The skin-to-skin was keeping them warm. The mothers were feeding them. And they even gave them oxygen so they could... But then they came back every day and Mm -hmm. replenished their oxygen. So this was the original 
kangaroo mother care model from Bogota. And uh, it has been successful. But only so far. Mm -hmm. And it was only limited to term baby, mm -hmm. to full to, to preterm babies. Preterm. Mm -hmm. So um, as I've been looking into the science, mm -hmm. uh, I have been the one that has said this is actually our normal biology mm -hmm. uh, that was discovered in this roundabout way. Yeah. Not for preterm babies, mm -hmm. but for term babies. Oh, yes. Now that's also come out of a lot of research from Sweden. Karolinska Institute, uh, which is known to many people, uh, where babies, normal babies, behavior at birth mm -hmm. is to crawl and uh, suckle on the breast in the first hour. Mm -hmm. And this we embody in the Baby Friendly Hospital Initiative. Mm -hmm. The problem is, it's like one hour. Mm -hmm. And that's immediate perhaps, but it missed the continuous. Yes. So we have rediscovered, yes, something that is primitive and true and authentic mm -hmm. uh, and part of our biology, mm -hmm. but we've missed some of the components. Right. And so the, the summary of what I'm s s conveying as a public health physician, uh, you want to condense something into a, one phrase. And it's, do you remember? Zero, Zero separation. separation. That's right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And could you discuss the concept of zero separation um, for the first 1,000 minutes after birth? You've been discussing this and how this helps wire a baby's brain. Could you say a little bit about that? So separation per se is harmful in many respects, mm -hmm. particularly to the brain. Take it on the other side, avoiding separation Make sure that you stay warm. Mm -hmm. Avoiding separation means that you get the right microbiota, mm -hmm. that you get the right food, that you get the right temperature, that you get the right metabolism, that you get the right signals, that you get the right bonding, mm -hmm. that you get the right uh, assurance, and it affects the wiring of the brain. Mm -hmm. So the trick is there's a lot of things that have to change in the baby in the first six hours mm -hmm. in order to be a good survivor. Right. Not just a survivor. You want to thrive. Mm -hmm. Survive is good. Thrive is the objective. Yes. Now, what we are discovering is that the mother's brain also changes. Mm -hmm. And it makes very profound changes. Mm -hmm. And those changes happen very, very easily and naturally in the very many were you meanings of that word naturally yes. but they take a thousand minutes mm -hmm. a thousand minutes is actually 17.66 hours but the baby doesn't have a clock mm -hmm. mother's brain it's one day mm -hmm. but a thousand minutes is more important than the thousand days that we all talk about ah, yes. so what I'm saying with a thousand minutes is that get that first day right, mm -hmm. and the other thousand minutes will work fine. Oh, thousand hours, days will work fine. Right. So it's a thousand minutes. Now you get the baby adapting to the mother, mother bonding, baby bonding. Mother becomes sensitized to her baby, and the baby bonds to the mother. And the father is included in this loop. Mm -hmm. But you do this in the first day, which is a thousand minutes. Right. 
And you have also coined the phrase kangarula for a doula who um, is supporting the mother both during birth and in this first thousand minutes. Mm. Could you talk a little bit about that as well? So the doula is a common concept, well, not well, it's a common concept, commonly known concept, and there's too few doulas. But, but the doula provides constant, uninterrupted presence to a woman in labor. Mm -hmm. And this is how the mother feels safe. Mm -hmm. Feeling safe makes higher oxytocin. Mm -hmm. Feeling unsafe makes higher cortisol. Mm -hmm. And these are opposites. The more oxytocin, the better everything is. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't actually matter if the mother is safe or not. That's the midwife's responsibility. Right. The mother feels safe because her doula never leaves her side. Mm -hmm. Now, this makes the oxytocin very high. Mm -hmm. And now the midwife and the doula are tired, exhausted, and they go home. Mm -hmm. But that's the critical time for the oxytocin that you got to be so high mm -hmm. to now work. And it takes those thousand minutes mm -hmm. to make that oxytocin effect right. carry its processes in the mother right. and the baby. So, what the kangaroo doula, kangaroola, mm -hmm. contract those two words, continues her constant uninterrupted presence yes. so that she can make sure that there's zero separation, mm -hmm. so that she can uh, prevent uh, uninter unnecessary interruptions, so that she can see that nobody disturbs the microbiota by coming to fiddle with the baby, 20 <laughs> people playing with the baby, not good. Mm -hmm. And so... Um, and she expresses milk early, and she does very many simple, practical things. And none of those very simple and very practical things is in anybody else's job description. Right. And therefore, I do envisage that in order to make the science of being born practical, the embodiment, the making it mm -hmm. happen, I'm envisaging a new health cadre, a new health professional, called a kangaroola. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, nobody's going to pay that kangaroola very much. Mm -hmm. uh, but the kangaroola doesn't have to be highly qualified. Mm -hmm. She just has to be highly empathetic. Ah, yes, absolutely. And you see this as even being something that can be done for cesarean sections, this zero separation, and the kangaroola can help with that as well. And this is, in fact, perhaps even more where you see the difference mm -hmm. because uh, traditionally an operation, a sick baby uh, separation is more after a cesarean mm -hmm. and in an operating table there's nobody who's going to put the baby on the mother mm -hmm. except the kangaroola right. and so on the operating table there's somebody dedicated to looking after the mother, now the mother feels better and the anesthetist notices it. now the mother has more oxytocin and the uterus contracts better and the obstetrician notices it and so the kangaroo has the most profound impact mm -hmm. in the operating theater itself. Mm -hmm. And she brings the father in there. Mm -hmm. And so uh, this is happening. And uh, it has a profound impact. And so uh, it compensates for some of the losses of having had a cesarean section. Mm -hmm. Many times a cesarean section is absolutely life-saving. Mm -hmm. Too many times it may not be, it right. may be unnecessary. Right. That discussion aside, mm -hmm. at a cesarean section, 
the Kanga ruler has the most profound impact. Yeah. And you can uh, compensate for all the things that the caesarean section lost you. Mm-hmm. You can more than compensate with the support of a kangaroo. Wonderful. And what about um, mothers who have very sick babies that have to be taken away quickly or the mother herself is very sick and they, and, and they can't avoid the separation after birth? What, what, what do you recommend in those kind of cases? Uh, the first call would be the father mm-hmm. or any other partner. Or any other family member. Mm-hmm. We're doing a very large randomized control study at the moment in four African countries and India. Mm-hmm. And uh, every baby born in the hospital is included, mm-hmm. including the mothers that you just mentioned who have high blood pressure or who have heart disease. And uh, when we enroll them, we straight away write down the name of who will help them, yes. whoever they choose. Uh, in India, uh, not fathers. Uh, in Colombia, where we started, KMC, fathers were doing it just as much as mothers. And in Sweden, where we also work. Mm-hmm. So it can be any family member. Mm-hmm. Uh, perhaps in this culture, in the United States, it should be a father. But actually, we really, really encourage that it should be another woman from the family. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. And... Um, you, what are some of the other benefits that even if you don't have a sick baby or you don't have uh, unavoidable separation, what are other benefits for the father or a, another partner or someone else doing this as well in the first uh, 1,000 minutes? So, so the father specifically uh, needs the exposure of the infant. Uh, and uh, this uh, I have not published, but I have collected blood samples from fathers. Mm-hmm. And uh, I have shown that uh, there is a fall in prolactin. And the mm-hmm. interpretation of that is that it's produced by a surge of dopamine. Mm-hmm. Now, this dopamine connects to oxytocin, and it makes the father a parent. He can behave as a parent and he can be legally a parent, but his brain doesn't know he's a parent until there's a connection in his oxytocin system, which is social, to his dopamine system, which is rewarding. Mm -hmm. And when you connect this sociality with reward, this is reproductive fitness. This is actually the biology of being a father. Mm -hmm. That father will protect that infant to the end of its life, his own life. And so there's a profound change in these fathers. Absolutely. I, I, I had a, a collected blood, and I had one father email me four years later. Mm-hmm. And he says in the email, uh, my wife thinks I'm crazy. I've just celebrated my son's fourth birthday. None of her f- friends' dads feel like I do about my son. Really? And I had skin-to-skin contact when my son was born. What did my blood test show? And it showed that his prolactin was falling. Wonderful. So uh, it does alter the perception of fatherhood Mm -hmm. for the benefit of the infant and the father. Wonderful. Now, I've I've heard you state that the mother's body, or sometimes perhaps the father's body, is the infant's natural habitat. So inside the body, um, during pregnancy, the uterus is, is the baby's habitat. Outside... After birth, the mother is the baby's habitat. Could you talk a little bit about that and how, you know, the mother regulates things in the baby um, and helps the baby adapt to the outside world? 
So the mother, uh, when she's pregnant, the baby is in a very confined space. But it's a safe space. Mm -hmm. and, and all the needs of the baby come from the uterus. That's fairly easy to envisage and to understand. Actually, when the baby's born, it still needs all its needs met. And for millions of years, there was only one place, only one imaginable place where that could happen, was mother's body. So what we now understand is that the environment is the first critical thing the baby needs to know. You need to know where you are when you wake up in the morning. Uh, the environment is the thing that tells the DNA what to do, the brain what to think and feel, uh, and, and how the body responds accordingly. So the environment is key. Uh, anthropologists uh, were the first to kind of describe this. Uh, for babies, the mother is the environment. James McKenna says, nothing an infant can or cannot do makes sense except in the light of mother's body. Now you can separate the baby and it stays alive, but it's actually not doing its developmental agenda. It's put on hold. So separation has profound effects on the brain. It's like putting a pause button on your computer. It stops running. It's still alive, but, but, but it's losing speed. It's losing time. It's not getting its accomplishments. And I believe you found um, you know, the, the regulation of the heart rate and the uh, hormones, everything. Could you talk a little more about that as well? So, so the, it, the mother gives sound and sight and smell and warmth and movement and touch. Every one of those sensations helps the baby's metabolism, its heart, its lungs. So everything in the baby is regulated by the mother's presence. And the baby uh, is mother-regulated. We tend to like the word self-regulation. The mother says, I want my life. <laughs> but when you self-regulate, it's not oxytocin that is doing it, but cortisol. Oh, yes. So self-regulation comes from cortisol, from being isolated, alone, separated. It's a stress hormone. It's a stress hormone. Mm -hmm. And it alters our capacity to cope with the outside world. It alters our capacity to trust other people. When we self-regulate, we lose the capacity to trust. And so empathy is that I can know the emotion of another person. We can lose that capacity also because we only get it from mother. Wonderful. That's fascinating. I just find your work amazing. Um, is there anything else that you would like to add that um, you think would be helpful for parents to know? Um, yeah, well, so the sad thing is that though this is obvious to parents, mm -hmm. I think uh, when I talked to an engineer, he said, don't people do this always? <laughs> when you talk to a farmer, it's even worse. Yes. He's seen it every single day in his backyard. And yet our hospitals don't understand this. Mm. And so actually parents have a right. Mm -hmm. They have informed consent. They should be able to say, this is what I would want. Mm -hmm. And uh, the informed consent should explain to them and they should be able to say, stand up. Separation must be justified and babies should not be separated. And so this change in how our whole society works Making that change 
parents that insist on what is best for their babies, mm -hmm. we're going to make it happen. Absolutely. Nobody else. If someone wants to find more out of, about this, um, what is your website or are there other resources that you would recommend? Uh, my wife and I work together with this, mm -hmm. and we have a website called Nino Birth. Nino Birth. Nino is neuroscience for improved neonatal outcomes. Wonderful. Ninobirth.org. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, and my wife describes her work there. And then we have a website called kangaroomothercare.com. Wonderful. Uh, and, and there's some links to, to those. Excellent, excellent. Thank, Thank you. you so much. Actually, there was and there's one... there's a Facebook page also for okay. NinoBirth.org. Okay, wonderful. <laughs> there was actually one thing I wanted to, to also ask you, which I didn't hear you speak about, but you have a, um, a theory that um, prone sleep is actually a more natural way of for babies sleeping than, um, than back sleeping, but I, I believe it's prone sleep on the parents. Yes. So could you talk a little bit about that? So, so separation mm -hmm. is bad for babies. Right. And uh, when you keep the baby skin to skin and prone, mm -hmm. it's not a separated prone baby. Right. So, so I make this distinction, and we've measured this also, it's been published to show that the physiology of prone and skin-to-skin -skin and the physiology of prone separated is very different. Mm -hmm. uh, now for premature babies, it's very much more important, mm -hmm. because they're unstable when they lie on their backs. Mm -hmm. uh, but there's a lot more controversy with this, and I have tackled this controversy, uh, and uh, it's on another one of my websites. Which is uh, skin to skin contact.com. Skin to skin contact.com. One long word without hyphens. Okay, wonderful, <laughs> wonderful. Well, thank you so much. This has been fascinating, and I really appreciate your taking the time to talk to me. Welcome. <laughs> thank you. If you enjoyed this episode, you can join the discussions on our Facebook and Instagram pages. To hear more, subscribe for free on the podcast app on your smartphone. We are available on Apple Podcasts. Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and all of your favorite podcast platforms. If you would like to offer feedback or suggest a guest, email us at untaming.podcast at gmail.com. <laughs>